You're listening to Trouble with the Truth, a podcast about journalists in danger and the stories that get them in trouble. I'm your host, Lana Istimirova. It was one of the biggest stories of the year. In 2015, journalist Claire Rucastle-Brown uncovered a $4. billion corruption scandal, also known as 1MDB. The money siphoning began with a Malaysian state fund chaired by the then Prime Minister Najib Razak, but over time spilled all over the world. The financier and mastermind behind the scheme, Joe Lowe, through lavish parties with Hollywood celebrities, bought exclusive properties and precious art pieces. Najib Razak and his family enjoyed a luxurious lifestyle that is laced with irony. It was Najib's stepson that helped finance the Martin Scorsese's film Wolf of Wall Street, the story of a disgraced stockbroker with decadent lifestyle. Reminds you of anyone? This extravagant spending could not have gone on unnoticed forever, especially because the multiple development projects the money was supposed to cover were frozen. Claire Recastle-Brown, who was the founder of the website Sorrowalk Report, received almost 30,000 emails from a whistleblower detailing the corruption scheme. When she released her investigation, it was as if the bomb had gone off. Najib lost the general election to a candidate running on anti-corruption platform, his possessions were seized, and he's now looking at 12 years in prison. Jolo is hiding somewhere in China. In today's episode, I wanted to focus on what happened to Claire after she exposed the 1MDB corruption scandal, and talk about the multiple legal challenges against her that she had to battle. Uh, The 1MDB scandal was one of the biggest corruption stories of our time, and thanks to you, it saw the light of day. In this podcast, I tend to focus on journalists behind the investigation and big stories, because Stories go away and headlines change, but the consequences are still very real for those involved and they're very real for you. Your website was shut down and you're being followed and you're currently being dragged through courts. So there's always a lesser known side to any big investigation. Just to start off, can we talk about your case? Who is behind it and what's happening with it at the moment? Well, there have been a number of uh, civil actions brought against me um, and, of course, criminal actions um, initiated by the Malaysian government under various laws that they have. Um, The civil actions, some of them have been brought in Malaysia, um, uh, and I'm semi-disengaged from those because I'm unable to go to Malaysia. I'm I'm treated like an enemy of the country. Um, But uh, uh, various parties have brought cases against me um, here in the UK using our libel laws. Um, So as a freelance journalist uh, working voluntarily on this corruption issue. So I'm I'm not making money. I'm not working for anyone. It's uh, an obvious route for certain actors to try and put enormous financial and legal pressure on me uh, to shut me up. Um, So, uh, you know, there have been numerous uh, cases brought against me, um, at at least a a dozen uh, threats of legal action. Um, Of course, the threats are just a first stage. And uh, if you have a great deal of evidence, it's, you you know, um, the freelance journalist um, has to decide whether or not they're going to um, 
basically ignore the ignore the threats or um, you know take it on the chin. Uh, sometimes these threats are raised uh, toward uh, into a writ, um, and then of course uh, the clock starts ticking in terms of um, the, the financial cost. Um, so you're expected to uh, hire a lawyer. Um, and then, uh, you know, engage in the incredibly expensive to and fro of high court action. Um, and I would suggest that um, a huge proportion of these cases are purely brought by the super rich because this this whole system is not accessible to anyone who isn't very rich. Um, the, the system is used by the super rich to put financial pressure on journalists and the media. Um, and it's a, you know, the, 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 they, they will hire lawyers, um, part of whose remit is to be as expensive as possible, to spend as much um, of everybody's money as possible in order to put pressure on their target with the, with the purpose of shutting them up. Um, and um, as we know, 98%, I think it is, of these libel actions never actually, uh, you know, come to court, come to trial. Because, uh, you know, the, the objective is to gain a settlement that um, includes silencing the journalist. So I had um, one particular um, action brought against me a couple of years ago by uh, the leader of a political party. Um, now, I had written a lot of things that eventually turned out to be perfectly true about that political party um, in Malaysia that was in alliance while pretending to be in the opposition, it was in alliance with uh, the criminal government, with the with the with the prime minister who was eventually uh, convicted of what I had reported on, which was um, stealing from the country using the one MDB mm. um, development um, uh, fund, um, and um, the political party was was the, that sued me. The uh, the secret ally that sued me was was clearly acting as a cat's paw for a. Uh, uh, a prime minister who was under pressure in Malaysia. Um, and it became an extremely expensive case. Um, it had to be brought by an individual. So the uh, the leader of that party, the extremist uh, Islamic party in Malaysia, um, alleged that I had um, libeled him by saying that his party was in league with um, the, uh, the, the prime minister of Malaysia at the time. Now, um, I hadn't mentioned this gentleman's, this litigant's name at all. Um, however, he managed to construct a case using a well-known reputation lawyer, as they like to call themselves in the UK, that that I had, by implication, um, libeled him. Well, um, half a million pounds later on my side, uh, nearly, and over a million pounds later on his side, um, I produced enough evidence to get uh, this litigant to settle. Um, he pulled out of the case and pulled and paid the lion's share of my uh, of my um, costs, um, and then went and announced back in Malaysia to the public there that he was dropping the case because the election was now over, um, and so there was no point having a hit, uh, having a libel case against me anymore because he had only launched it for the purposes of, for the political purposes of defending his party in the election. So he. He blatantly admitted that he had abused libel law, that this was nothing to do with his reputation and never was. He'd abused libel law um, mm. as a political tool um, to help him uh, answer difficult questions during an election. 
Um, that is an, a classic of why you know we need to look at how libel law is being used against journalists who are trying to report truthful situations in the public interest. And uh, you mentioned before that it was very costly, and that's the purpose of these kind of libel laws usually, to slowly drain financial and, well, psychological resources from the organizations and individuals. How did you manage to cover those costs? Well, exactly. And what I find so interesting, I mean, this is not to slowly drain. Um, The the idea is that you, you know, um, uh, publishers, newspaper owners know well the costs involved in libel action, which is why you only have to threaten it uh, to start to have an immediate impact. Um, So what concerns me most and what I find most ironic is that I, as as a freelance journalist, determined to stand by the truth to protect the people of the country that I was um, exposing their prime minister's corruption to, um, I refused to step down. But newsrooms, major media organisations, avoid these sorts of conflicts like the plague, because it completely eats away at their profit margin. It it can drive too many too many rich targets who then bring legal action can easily bring a media organization or publishing business to its knees. So this this law, this this availability um, to abuse the law in order to start costing uh, news organizations is a very effective way of um, enticing news organizations to into avoiding uh, getting you know doing their basic job which is to hold the wealthy and account, uh, the wealthy and the powerful to account um, you know if you're a rich criminal it's just a, a business expense to to launch these sorts of, of actions if you've stolen a hundred million yeah. you know what's you know what's a million uh, to to keep the media off your back? And, and I'm afraid this is what's going on. When I first started covering 1MDB, I tried to get major newsrooms to um, start taking the material that I had and to publish alongside with me. And for months and years, most of those newsrooms would not. Um, there was one, and I won't mention it, there was one major um, British publication that uh, initially took up the story, and the journalists were very excited by it. But uh as they then sent out their due diligence rights for reply letters, they soon started to get very threatening responses. Um, in this case, from six different top law firms, all representing different people that were exposed by this story. Um, and as a result, they stepped back from it and they've never covered it again. They would have lost money just countering those letters and, and, and a great deal of money just countering those letters. And it was left to me. Um, and how did I pay for it? I cashed in my, my pension. Um, and um, I had to um, put really everything I had on the line um, and risk my children's home and my husband's home in order to fight this. And, you know, um, individual journalists who are trying to perform a public service in what they do should not be put under that pressure. And I think there have to be ways uh, to prevent Um, the criminally wealthy from being able to just hire a so-called reputation lawyer and silence the media. And um, just kind of building on that, our organization, Justice for Journalists Foundations, 
actually tried to lobby for slaps, libel laws to be included in a national action plan to protect journalists that was just issued by the government, I think, today or yesterday. But unfortunately, it wasn't. Do you think that libel cases against journalists are not taken as seriously as, let's say, physical attacks? And do we need to continue pushing for those attitudes to change? Yes, well, from, from yes, uh, you know, uh, there are an awful lot of issues that muddy the waters, obviously, um, when it comes to um, journalism. And, and there are so many issues that need to be taken into account. Um, and of course, you know, th- th- what gets most pu- public attention so often um, is examples of journalists misbehaving themselves um, and um, intruding on people's privacy. And those issues, ironically, are then used to protect the super wealthy, Mm. who are the only ones who are going to be able to avail themselves of any, um, you know, instruments or protections that are brought into place. Um, And as a result, what you're seeing is media organizations harassing and bullying uh, the weak, the people who just simply don't have the money, the school teacher, the, you know, the vicar, um, you know, anyone who can't, hasn't got the resources to hire a lawyer and bite back. And you've got this awful sort of bullying culture now where newspapers, or the royals, you know, newspapers feel that, you know, there are certain institutions that can't answer back, certain, you know, um, small-time people who can be exposed and trashed and can't answer back. And they they sort of take their venom out on them rather than on the powerful and dangerous, um, you know, creatures in our, you know, who, who need to be held to account. So that's, that's, that's something that's got to be dealt with. Privacy cannot be used um, as a, you know, turned on its head and then used to protect the wealthy. Um, And absolutely, systems need to be brought into place so that there is some kind of filtering. Um, At the moment, um, there is a huge vested interest in legal circles, who are, of course, extremely powerful when it comes to um, making law and influencing parliament. Um, There is a huge interest in legal circles. Um, in continuing the, the, the system that we have, um, because there's a lot of money in it. Um, but there should be a filtering system. And, and, and I can think of a number of ways to make it a, make it a less lucrative area of the law. Um, so that it's le- of less interest to law firms to set themselves up purely um, to service the, um, you know, the bullying tactics of the super rich. Um, you could uh, have a more viable um, press complaints commission that, that if anyone wanted to complain or, or to, to uh, sue for libel, um, I think they should be uh, forced to do what um, uh, what, what uh, is, is already practiced with the Broadcast Complaints Commission, which is they should be forced to bring their issue first and foremost to the industry body or to a, an independent body um, where they can make their case. And if they win their case, then they and, and the broadcaster doesn't or, or printer doesn't give the um, uh, satisfaction in, in mitigating um, whatever insult it was that, that, that's upset this person, then then the libel system should be coming to way. But there should be a block so that vexatious um, tactical libel suits should not just be able to just steamroller ahead and, and railroad journalists. Now, on the mm. subject of, of more obvious physical threats, it's in my experience, it's all part and parcel of the same approach. If you have, uh, as a journalist, um, 
exposed, disrupted, endangered the interests and, uh, you know, and the reputation, uh, probably rightly, of a very rich and powerful actor, then you are likely to find a whole lot of different um, tactics used against you. Um, and some of these will be more physical um, and some of these will be in the field of, of, of legal steps. Um, you know, having been the target of, of several, um, I'm very aware that these um, physical and legal um, uh, tactics are often incredibly closely interlined. The same, the same actors are um, behind them and coordinating uh, these these strategies um, to the extent that um, it, it's it's documented. Um, Law firms are often engaged uh, by a, a wealthy actor uh, seeking to uh, go after a media organization or journalist. Um, and uh, that lawyer, through that lawyer, uh, PR companies can be hired, um, but the PR company may then uh, hire a corporate investigator um, as the distance between the client, the lawyer, um, lengthens. And that corporate investigator might then hire somebody else who might then end up hiring a hacker. And that's all money that could have originally have come through the, the, the lawyer's uh, client account, um, although the law firm itself would, would be distanced from this. And, and, and you know, I can, I can lay out examples of this happening. Um, it's documented that um, certain law firms in the United States were managing uh, the budgets for Joe Lowe in exactly that fashion. Um, so what do I as a journalist through that mm. flow of money start to experience? Well, um, in the 1MDB case, um, I, I was um, hacked. By his, uh, I was the target of an Israeli-based hacking company, and I have the evidence of that now um, that's only now come through, although I knew I was being hacked um, and, and aggressively hacked. My emails were uploaded online and then um, manipulated and used to harass me in, in Malaysia. Um, I, you know, corporate investigation firms were hired that saw it fit to um, idle their cars outside my door and frighten my family and my neighbours. Um, you know, likewise, I found that I was being followed in a very um, obvious and aggressive way, my photograph being taken as I met people in public places. Um, and, and indeed, um, you know, I was... And that uh, was all in the UK. That was all happening in the This was in the UK. UK. Yes, that was happening in the UK. Um, naturally, I was God. receiving frightening emails and so forth. More to the, you know, all of that was going on. Um, and then, you know, but it, it was open, aggressive. Um, I was having, uh, you know, UK, one UK company, I, I, you know, I found out a lot about who was behind these um, activities. And, and there were a number of firms hired. One UK company um, sought to entice me through one of my sources to go to that source's house, um, which they were planning to um, uh, set up with sound and video recording. And then the source who was being blackmailed by that stage, um, because her husband was in jail in Thailand, and they were wanting, you know, so they said that he would have a bad time if she didn't cooperate. Um, you know, she was she was pressured to try and provoke me into saying things that they could then video and chop together. And, and they did indeed uh, produce um, a, a chopped together 
um, audio tape um, of me talking to her, which which was designed to make me sound as if I was some kind of awful person with all the wrong, um, you know, motives in what I was doing. Um, you can do anything if you start chopping up a tape. Um, she, in the end, actually rank, refused to set me up by video as well. Um, that was just, you know, one of the sorts of tactics uh, against me. Um, and of course, you become the target of an enormous social media um, operation. Um, I mean, literally millions of pounds I was able to reveal as I as I went back after some of the companies like Bell Pottinger, FBC Media, both based in London. Um, K2 was another. You know, these these companies were were hired, and and the PR. Um, involved setting up uh, social media operations uh, designed to um, trash me, to go after me, to accuse me of all sorts of awful things, to slag me off whole websites. Um, I think at least four websites over the last few years have been set up purely with the intention of, um, you know, saying what a horrible, dangerous, lying person I was. Um, and that was really all for the benefit of the people who commissioned it, the, the people who, who didn't like my investigations into them. I was even dragged into a sort of fake movie project that, that seemed designed to get me to confide things oh to supposedly sympathetic producers. Um, um, and again, I've, you know, I was fortunate enough to smell rats in the right places at the right time and to um, largely dodge this. But, you know, I am just one of numerous, particularly lone journalists, uh, who find themselves um, battered by this. And, and of course, far worse things have happened to people um, outside of Britain, uh, where obviously I'm a lot more protected than some of the very brave journalists who are performing similar work, trying to expose um, corruption in the public interest in less protected parts of the world. I also wanted to talk more about the UK because we've been talking about corruption here for quite some time now. Over the past few months, the Conservative government was implicated in multiple scandals that involved big contracts being awarded to acquaintances and friends and from failed test and trace to the PPE. Someone would call it corruption, but British media labeled just chumocracy, uh, which I find very funny. And as someone who investigated corruption for so many years, risking your well-being, do you what do you think about that? Do you think the British press is letting off the government lightly? Yeah, I, I'm haunted by it. Um, I have been covering corruption um, and following how corrupt money filtrates through the financial system, the global financial system, relating to um, a medium developing country. And um, I am haunted by how the familiarities are now beginning to show themselves first in the United States over the last four years, particularly, and now in Britain. Um, this disdain suddenly for established practices. Um, you know, I've launched my criticism against kleptocracy in Malaysia by referring to norms, by referring to the norms that protect us from corruption in public life. So 
you know, um, transparency, mm. tendering of contracts, um, you know, all the checks and balances that um, I think there is genuine concern have been thrown out of the window in recent months, uh, conveniently on the excuse of the COVID crisis. Um, but, you know, these, this, this erosion of norms, of um, correct practices, needs to be addressed extremely quickly because I've seen only too clearly um, how the same procedures become norm, become accepted, um, and, and then you know you're you're embarking very quickly down a slippery slope of the sort that I was um, following um, in Malaysia. Um, so much of what uh, was causing problems in Malaysia is now beginning to rear its head, and 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 that's not coincidental. Um, uh, we are we have for, for for decades now tolerated uh, the influx of dirty money from um, poorly governed areas uh, around the world through our financial system, our global financial system, particularly the offshore system that allows corrupt money. It's deliberately there and structured to allow the flow of corrupt money um, and a blind eye to be turned before that corrupt money enters our advanced economies. And that has been blithely and frankly deliberately allowed um, by our, you know, our, 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 um, the advanced economies uh, because they want to see that investment, obviously. Um, but the consequences of that has been that along with the corrupt money, has come the corrupt practices, has come the corrupt actors. And these corrupt actors are beginning to flex their muscle, um, which comes from money, um, within our own systems. Um, and, you know, we're seeing dubious donors um, becoming influential um, in our democratic parties and, and starting to um, exert influence over our governments. And, and this is why um, this is why it's of significance to all of us. You know, we should not be turning a blind eye um, in our global world now to uh, misdeeds and corruption in vulnerable, poorly con- governed countries, because the consequences are visited on all of us. We in the end, are likewise corrupted by that dirty money. So it's in our interests not only to um, seek to protect vulnerable vulnerable populations who are being ripped off by um, uh, corrupt actors, but to protect ourselves from the corruption spreading like some kind of cancer into our own systems. And I would argue um, mm. that, you know, that allowing journalists to do their proper job instead of, you know, bullying inconsequential people um, and chasing celebrities, allowing us to do our job of investigative journalism um, and holding the powerful and wealthy to account is vital to preventing that sort of corruption, uh, taking uh, control of our societies and of our political um, life. If you enjoyed this episode, you will certainly enjoy Claire's book, The Sarawak Report, the inside story of the 1MDB expose that delves into the details of the investigation. As always, I'm in awe of incredible journalists who can single-handedly bring down corrupt governments with a computer and decent Wi-Fi connection and the unquenchable thirst for truth.